0: Welcome to Trinity on Tap Theology, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. Victoria Lorimar.
1: Episode 14 The Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. What comes to mind when you think of the Holy Spirit? Perhaps you belong to a tradition where a great deal of emphasis is placed on the Spirit. More charismatic churches especially tend to value gifts of the Spirit, such as prophesying, speaking in tongues, and the idea of baptism in the Spirit. Or perhaps you're at the other end of the spectrum, where the Spirit tends to be almost an addendum in Trinitarian statements, but doesn't get talked about much otherwise. There can be a wariness around Holy Spirit talk, out of fear that it might give undue influence to subjective personal experience or mystical elements more likely you're somewhere in between. There's a lot of uncertainty around when it comes to a theology of the Holy Spirit. And certainly in Western European Christianity and its legacy, the Spirit has received far less theological attention than the first two persons of the Trinity. So what do the scriptures say about the Holy Spirit? Well, in the Old Testament, the Spirit tended to be associated with leaders and with prophets. It's something that's given in anointing for a specific task. But there was always the hope that the Spirit might be experienced by all. Moses, for example, expressed the desire that God's Spirit would come on all of the Lord's people. That's in Numbers chapter 11. And Joel, one of the minor prophets, prophesied this very thing. And his words are so beautiful and uplifting that they're worth reading in full. So this is God speaking through Joel, saying, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's turn to the New Testament. Jesus tells the disciples that when he is gone, the Father will send the Spirit, whom he also calls the Advocate who will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. And this term advocate tells us a lot about what the spirit does. The Greek word is parakletos. You may have heard the spirit referred to as the more anglicised name paraklete. The NRSB, which I've been using, translates it as advocate, but it can also mean comforter or counsellor. The Holy Spirit teaches us and reminds us, but also comforts, encourages, and advocates for us. Remember we spoke previously about Jesus interceding for us with the Father. Well, in Romans 8, we find out that the Spirit does this also. What an immense blessing that God dwells among us in this way. And we read about this event of the Spirit coming in Acts chapter 2, what we now celebrate as Pentecost. In fact, Joel's prophecy that I read earlier is quoted again in this chapter, connecting the coming of the Spirit on the early church at Pentecost with the Hebrew prophecy. And the event itself is quite remarkable. The early followers of Christ were together in one place, celebrating the Jewish festival Pentecost. Did you know that Pentecost actually refers originally to a Jewish holiday, also known as the Feast of Weeks? This holiday celebrated the harvest and also the giving of the Torah, the law, to Israel. But the events of Acts chapter 2 were so transformative that for many, Pentecost is now shorthand for the descent of the Spirit on the early church. And here's how Luke describes it in Acts. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Pretty wild, right? Some of the onlookers were scornful, saying they must be drunk. But the power of the Spirit meant that everyone present heard the gospel in their own language, and over 3,000 people joined the church that day. And when it comes to Bible verses about the Holy Spirit, many of you, especially if you attended a Christian Sunday school or youth group, may have memorized the list of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we go back to Acts chapter 2 and the aftermath of the Spirit's arrival at Pentecost, we see these fruits borne out immediately in that newly created community. Describing life among believers, it says that they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. How's that for fruitful living? This is a testament to the transformative aspect of Christian life. Remember how we spoke about glorification a couple of episodes ago? How we're being made more Christ-like and how this will culminate in union with God? Well, the spirit is at work in us even now as a part of that process. Now, the fruit of the spirits are all very well, you might be thinking. What about spiritual gifts? In a more general sense, a spiritual gift could mean a lot of things. An aptitude for teaching, gifts of wisdom, discernment, hospitality. We know that the body of Christ is made up of many different parts. And Christians bring different gifts, passions, and callings to the table. But often when people talk about spiritual gifts, they mean something more specific, special manifestations of the Holy Spirit of a charismatic nature, healing, prophesying, speaking in tongues. You may have experienced this, or perhaps it makes you wary, or perhaps you haven't experienced this and feel impoverished as a result. What do we make of these gifts of the Spirit? Alistair has a helpful analogy for us.
2: For me, um, the distinction between fruits of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit is really important. Now, the fruits of the Spirit are what happen naturally when you're rooted in God. And therefore you might think of an apple tree. It bears fruit naturally because it's rooted in God. It's not a sign of merit or anything. It's, it's, it's It's a sign of authentic faith. This just happens naturally. But maybe God gives some of us, not all of us, but some of us, special gifts, because there are things that need to be done, like like a Christmas tree, you know, uh, Christmas tree, you add things to it, you give it things like that, makes it look nice, but it is the, are things that are potentially useful. And so one of the things I try to um, think about is that um, God gives each of us gifts, not in effect to reward us, but rather to say, Giving you this is, in effect, saying maybe I want you to do that. In effect, the gifts of the Spirit of God gives us are indications of what God is enabling us to do. It's all about vocation. So I think that, to me, is very important because it's not just sort of this general idea that God resources us, which is very important, but also maybe God is helping us to figure out what we are meant to be doing by giving us something special. Not because we are great, because God is great and wants us to do something special. And what we are gifted with, very often, is an indication of what we are being invited to do. And so, if there's anyone listening to this who's saying, well, I don't have any gifts, I'm going to say, well, that you're just implying God's left you out somewhere. Look again. You're not being arrogant, you're simply discerning what God has given you, not as a matter of merit, but an act of graciousness to enable you to do something that's really special and waiting for you to do it.
1: How does the Spirit fit into the bigger picture of what God is doing in the world? We already looked at the event of Pentecost, and the significance of the Spirit comes out, I think, when we compare Pentecost with another biblical event, the story of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. From the third chapter of Genesis onward, we watch human relationships and morality unravel. And this reaches a tipping point when some people get together and decide to build a city and a tower reaching to the heavens so that they might make a name for themselves. And in the story, God responds to this mockery by confusing their language, scattering them across the earth. They're no longer able to work together or to share a common world or worldview. If we understand Pentecost within this narrative, then we see how the Spirit undoes this consequence of the fall. The old language divisions are overcome as people hear the same message, each in their own native tongue. And what does the Spirit mean for us personally? Let's hear from Ben.
0: In Romans 8, St Paul talks about the Spirit as the one by whom we cry. Abba, Father. Think back to the story of Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus who relates to God in this special, unique way as Abba, Father. Jesus who has this special bond of trust and dependence on God. It would be one thing for us to stand at a distance admiring Jesus' relationship to God and to try to imitate him. Look, that's, that's the perfect way to relate to God. I want to copy that. That would be one thing. But by the Spirit, we are actually drawn onto the inside of Jesus' unique relationship to God. His relationship to God is unique but also inclusive. There is room. If you think of Jesus' relationship to God as this massive, massive thing, and there's room inside it for every human being. What does the who, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God in us, God gathering us onto the inside of god's own relationship to god the father's relationship to the son so the thing the spirit does is it makes us talk to god as if we were jesus and it makes and and it it means that god relates to us as if we were jesus so what do we receive from the holy spirit everything adoption as god's sons inclusion in God's family. I'm using the same gendered language that St Paul uses in Romans 8, of course. We become God's sons. We, we are adopted children with all the same entitlements that Jesus has as God's son by nature.
1: When we step back and look at God's dealings with us from the beginning until now, we see the whole Trinity at work in the world. From creation with the spirit hovering over the waters, bringing forth order from chaos to the new creation. Romans 8 tells us that the spirit in us now is the first fruits of the glory in which we hope. And the gift of the spirit is also an invitation to partner with God and to be drawn into union with God. We've talked already about the purpose of creation, the end to which God has created all things and we'll talk more about what that looks like in coming episodes. To close this episode, though, Alistair invited us to discern which kinds of spiritual gifts each of us might have been given. Have you thought about this in your own life? Not all spiritual gifts involve some kind of miraculous ability. What are your strengths, your passions? Perhaps you are really good at praying for other people. Maybe you're a gifted teacher. Do you have exceptional wisdom when it comes to financial matters or a real flair for innovation? Take some time to reflect on what God has gifted you with and what you might do with those gifts.
0: This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.